Welcome. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of, of Energy Bites. John Calfan here um, with my wonderful co-host, Bobby Nealon. What's good? You're doing good today, Bobby. Awesome. Today, we've got John Archer, the Global Edge Hardware Partner Manager at, uh, at Red Hat. Appreciate you coming, man. Thanks for having me. A little closer. A little closer. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Can you hear me? Hear me yeah. There? Okay. No, you're... It's it's honestly mostly from the the other microphones picking you up, not okay. the, the main one. But it it feels weird speaking directly into this giant thing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's weird, but closer is better. I mean, right. I'm, I'm I'm gonna wear it. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for coming today, man. Appreciate I, it. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's uh, nice meeting you guys, and I know we've had one conversation before, and really like talking to you guys. So. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and really enjoy the podcast. Thanks, you thank have. you. Appreciate that. It's, it's a it's needed in this space. Thanks that. It's always good to feel yeah. your that's, hypothesis. That's twice is, we've got some good feedback. It's validated. So. <laughs> yes. If you like the podcast, perfect timing. Go like and subscribe. Give us some feedback. Give us five stars if you're listening. Um, we'd appreciate it. John, tell us tell us about yourself. How'd you get into to energy tech? Where are you from? Kind of how'd you yeah. how'd, how'd you get to Red Hat? Well, I haven't gone very far, so because if we're here at the near the Canon, and so our office is we have a intelligent edge solution center here at the Canon conjoined with Chevron. And, oh, um, but I went to high school right down the road here at Springwoods. So it doesn't feel like I had went very where anywhere at all. <laughs> uh, but you know, I, you know, you grew up in Houston, you do energy, right? So, yeah. Or medical, maybe a little bit, but maybe a little material science if you're, if you're cool. But, um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I've been, um, working in, um, energy since I was 19 in some ways. Okay. Um, if I go back to my Stuart title days, when I was a kid, I, just, I was a file clerk. First time I actually coded anything was at Stuart title where we were using VisiCalc and I was going to say, what'd you code in? Yeah. VisiCalc DBase were the was first it? things where I got paid to code. Yeah. <laughs> but cartridges on an Atari as a kid on a 400 was the first thing I coded. That's awesome. Like a basic cartridge. Yeah. And, um, it's like, I mean, I don't, at least I, how do you even do that? I mean, I, I, I have no clue. Like what, what did that even look like the, to code you again? you have to have like a cartridge a, reader? Yeah, so the, the actual computer it? had a cartridge insert for like games, but then okay. they started building like basic Fortran, okay. yeah, Pascal cartridges. Uh, you could plug in there, and you'd write to your little floppy or actually cartridge uh, cassette, too, yeah. right? And uh, you'd I'd get all the magazines. That, yep. There was like a couple different Atari magazines wow. back there with code. Uh, one of the projects I first did was to build a weather uh, device that you could hook up to the Atari computer. So a buddy of mine, this is like in junior high. And uh, we built a thing to pull down weather data and present it. And we thought we'd do this for like fishing guides. The problem is you need to buy an Atari computer. So it was a bad <laughs> yeah. plan. So, so but, um, but we, that was our big idea where in seventh grade was. That's awesome. We could pull down the weather data over the air. I mean, that's, that's wild. Pretty innovative, I assume for, I mean, running it on an Atari. So giving well, you a time frame of what that taught is. Me, that's how I learned to solder too. So yeah. The first one was solder, <laughs> a, a little device you plug into the serial COM port. That's my, uh, man, that's honestly my favorite thing about, about this podcast is just ever there, there isn't a, a common path for pretty much anyone that we've had on yeah. here, right? Like everyone got exposed to tech in their own different way. Yeah. And a lot of it is under older, right. Whatever. Through direct tech, right. It's like, yeah. well, I was interested in MySpace, So I started coding MySpace pages and yeah. then I got into code and I learned HTML and then it waterfalls are like, my story is at the same time I was working at a data company. I 
was also in a fantasy football league with all my oh. friends back home and I wanted bragging rights. So, so you started, had those problems too. Right. So yeah. I started, you know, messing around <laughs> yeah, with I'm APIs. At one point I was committed <clears throat> like eight leagues. So <laughs> I'm down to how, two. Yeah. How do you factor in uh, injuries? Because that's destroying me right now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah. So you had Chubb is what I'm hearing? Is my, my, well, my wife had him, but. Um, oh, there were a bunch this last week. Yeah. It was basically every receiver I had had something. <laughs> like, oh, okay. I, I dropped a Cooper Cup and yeah. Yeah, Cup was hurt off the bat. You didn't do your homework, man. So. Yeah, I really didn't. Okay. Yeah, to, to his point, like I showed up, I'm like, guess I'm just fine blind. You went to FF today, downloaded the top 100 or whatever. So. Yeah, for for a data person, I have not yet done what no. he did. So. Well, I, re- I really like the football guys one. If you want to use that one, okay. Yeah, yeah they have good. They do have some good data. We'll see. Okay, they've curated their data. So. Right, very nice. Football's fantasy football is tricky because the draft stuff is all very. It's not. There's pretty much no data behind it, other than just the player's historic data. But that player yeah. might be on a completely different team with yeah. a different offense and a different head coach and a different. You it's know. Showing where data science gaps. Live. Yeah. And yeah. So it's it's real time events are hard to represent with data. Absolutely. Um, speaking of that, shout out to Amazon. I watched their. Uh, I don't even remember what the the name of the broadcast is, but it's their secondary broadcast that they stream on Prime with the. Uh, their computer vision and analytics oh, yeah. running that's on top amazing of it. it's pretty slick it highlights all the players it tells you their speed it shows you the routes they run it predicts blitzes and stuff like that it's yeah it's pretty slick let's wait till their contracts are tied to yeah. the analytics yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so i guess all you jaded it out there you just got docked pay yeah so, so. Uh, i i can't wait till that if i'm hoping please make that api available because it would make my analytics really yeah. interesting um anyway coming back so Kind of how did you how did you get to uh, to where you're at at Red Hat today? What? Yeah, so you know, I I I started Houston Java Users Group here a long time ago. Oh, I'll go way. I, I was Hal PC guy for old school Houston guys, okay. Houston Area League PC users. I was a Delphi user for a long time. Coded, I probably coded more applications in Delphi, Borland Delphi platform. Um, Gupta SQL Windows, Power Builder, all that kind of stuff. And then uh, when Java came out, I became a huge Java nerd. Um, and, uh, started the, the H jug here in town, which is still going and, uh, being, That's run, awesome. being run by my buddy, Jim, he's doing a good job with it. Um, but I haven't really coded Java in quite some time. We have Quarkus at Red Hat, which is a great platform for optimizing Java on containers. And, um, but overall what we've been doing is mostly Python, Julia, R type of content when yeah. it comes to coding and now a little bit of rust, uh, you know, rust and web assembly is kind of like the hot newness, yeah, right? yeah, the new thing, and um, you know, running on microcontrollers is something we've been looking at. Um, there's a, a buddy of mine here at Red Hat over in Germany who's built a, a project called uh, Drogue IoT, and it's a, a, an attempt to you know containerize workloads on uh, microcontrollers. Nice. Wow. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. That's insane. Yeah, the yeah. the stuff that that's coming down the pipe on the edge side and the PLC industrial automation stuff is really really. Yep. exciting in my opinion just yeah nubix io is a leader there yeah too so jason shepherd formerly of dell is running that thing and uh they've got a good a good head start on this too yeah. um if we could just get the software companies to containerize all of their stuff we'd yeah, be well, doing better there's uh, what's the uh malcolm gladwell quote the future shares is not you know widely distributed <laughs> yeah right <laughs> evenly distributed <laughs> so, for sure um but yeah that's the case for a lot of things there's you know this container stuff's been around a while if we go back to like sun right in sure, process yeah. gels and all that stuff or even l pars on mainframes the idea has been there for a long time right but how you break up the resource of the computer containers is now the state of the art for how to do that um 
I can get the best utilization of my hardware by containerizing yeah. the stuff. So this is a perfect opportunity for you to explain to people kind of the old way with virtual machines and kind yeah. of how. Well, even that seems there's a step in between of like virtual machines, Docker, and then yeah. we all yeah. got to. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah, so. So start like high level. Yeah, I want to know how what, deep what, to go here. We can start it, high level and then we'll we'll prod you for questions okay. to, to get into so, it. So I use VMware like 99, right? To, mm. to, to like Phoenix Biosimulation, how they kind of started. And I was running like a Kix region on a an image, right? Great use case, loved VMware back then. Sure. But when you build VMware at scale or, you know, Crowley's images, it's a copy of the OS in every image. Yeah. So it's using the resources of an OS full stack every time you spin it yeah. up. Containers is more like an OO thinking here where I can reuse the base layers and get better utilization because I'm not, every image is really just the deltas of what you right. need mm -hmm. in that container. Significantly um, more efficient from a resources perspective, yeah. right? So, and so, you know, be able to break up the process and isolate it, and process, process, process isolation is the core of it. But like what Docker did, which is amazing, was make an API to make it really easy to use, right? right? So the registry and the, the layers and stuff like that. Um, we've come up with a um, some improvements on that called Podman. So Podman IO is mm -hmm. the website. And that comes with Red Hat Enterprise Linux and comes with Red Hat Device Edge. But that's now the most secure way. There's some vulnerabilities in Docker, which we can alleviate. And uh, a lot of the other Linux distributions have picked up Podman and, and they're shipping that now. Cool. Um, you know, Docker kind of with Swarm kind of made a misstep back in the day a little bit. And it broke everyone's Kubernetes and that kind of forced this change. Yeah. For like so OCI format became kind of like a way to keep the keep everyone's nose clean. Right. And uh, make sure you don't hurt each other's projects and efforts. But um yeah, Podman's a way to run containers now. Uh there's a utility to simplify it for new developers called uh, Podman Desktop, which is, you know, active development, heavy development right now. And uh but yeah, Podman ecosystem and our you know container registries out there can Pull from Docker Hub, pull from Quay, and uh, you can get software up and running very quickly with these with these things. Yeah, and then you know, of course, we use OpenShift to scale it out and do container orchestration, and that's mostly what I've been doing for for since I joined Red Hat was positioning OpenShift at you know large super majors here in town and uh, and globally as well. Yeah. So, so tell okay, so now that we kind of understand virtual machines and containers, tell people about what the next step is, which is OpenShift with Kubernetes. Yep. Um, just a high level. It doesn't yeah. have to be super. We talked a little bit about Kubernetes in our, our one of our second or third episode. Yeah. But like you we haven't talk about high level what that is. I mean the orchestration yeah. of the containers and yeah. So like like I said, I, I was at OzCon in 2015 yeah. when I learned really what Kubernetes was. Mm -hmm. And Kubernetes early days was you know Google's way to like run their run all their systems more efficiently, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And uh, DevOps it and you know get get the best utilization of the hardware. That's a critical thing for a search company at that time. Especially a cloud yeah. compute company. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cloud compute company. You want, want to utilize our resources at the most economic way we can. So getting from VMs to containers, in some cases like a 15X to better, 30X better utilization of the right. same gear. So I could run more yeah. or less, right? So OpenShift is a way to do that. We really, we had, OpenShift existed before Kubernetes. Okay. So OpenShift, the way it is with the, the version three of OpenShift was the first Kube version. Okay. And so, you know, going back, Google and Red Hat got together to really invest heavily in the CNCF and, and build the Kube project. It's, I mean, it's one of the largest open source projects in the world. Okay. 
Um, it's like, it's usually in the top three, if you look at commits and all that and, wow. and the involvement, but Kubernetes has taken over, right? Kubernetes is, is it's the established way to architect things mm. and especially cloud cloud. Yeah. All the, you know, all the cloud to... guys have their KSs. Yep. Uh, OpenShift runs on all the clouds yep. and clouds you haven't heard of too. Yeah. Well, and now it's slowly evolving or being pushed out to edge, right? Like yeah. that's kind of the, the future. I mean, the first, my first involvement with edge was with a company that was pitching modular servers that ran Kubernetes. And, yep. But to, for the IT manager, the CIO, CTO guys out there listening, what are the benefits? Like, why do I need to move from even just containers to Kubernetes or yep. tell me some of the, you know, the, the day-to-day benefits yep. of, of what that brings to me. Yeah. So like I always tell people and a lot of people were, you know, with the K3S project, that's where I think a lot of people started trying to do this on the edge mm-hmm. or at least doing a constrained device. Right. right. And I know your old company was doing stuff like that. And, um, but the, uh, you know, part of the, the, the goals here is to simplify operations, get operational efficiency down and improve security. That's really the, the two things. And some of this, if, if it's a, like a far edge device, to reduce the windshield time. Right. Right. So I want to be able to patch successfully. A lot of these OT environments are, you know, locked down and they, you know, like set it, forget it. Mm-hmm. But there's vulnerabilities associated with that. If you look back what's happened at like Saudi Aramco with some of their workloads and there's been a lot of hacks here lately. Yeah. The idea that the software is not maintained better is what we're trying to fight against, right? We want to yeah. build it. You, you want to leverage all these new things. You have to have a way to keep it like a living, breathing thing. Right. And so, you know, like edge ops as a, as a pattern, taking the, you know, the DevOps idea and be able to push your container to where you need it. Um, you need, sometimes you need to be able to patch the OS without having to go on site. Right. Or a guy running around the USB stick. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so we're trying to help that guy not have to run around. So, uh, part of how we deploy Red Hat device edge, which is a way is an alternative way of deploying rel. You get the best zero day CVE response and we're, like we're a root on CVE. So we're, if something's happening, we're going to be the first responder right. Right, in that sense. Um, so, um, but what we can do is allow you to patch it automatically. And we have an immutable OS now with this using the RPM OS tree project and using Greenboot, we can create uh, a sequence of how you boot the system that'll auto patch and then push out new versions of That's the image awesome. yeah. and, and it's transactional. So if it's not safe, it rolls back. So big, big issue with edge that I'm glad y'all are solving out of the gate. A lot of people focus on, you know, the on-site hardware and how's it going to integrate and what's it going to run and what software and blah, blah, blah. But then one of the last things that people think about is your CICD pipeline for these edge devices. And if they're far edge on a drilling rig or on a frack site or in a SCADA system where you might not always have connectivity, what happens when you go to push an update and it, yeah. connectivity fails in the middle of the update. Yep. Does it brick your server or does it intelligently know that it needs to roll back because the update didn't come through? That's a, that's awesome. I didn't realize it had that, yeah. this that is, level of. We've been working on this for a little while. This came out of the Fedora IoT project. So shout out to Peter Robinson. He's been working nights and weekends and you know, yeah. trying to get this thing out the door. Um, you know, we're on Intel and ARM with this stuff now too. And so we're, you know, working a lot on ARM uh, chipsets. Yep. We're also working on uh, the new Risk Five coming out stuff. So we're gonna try to have ubiquity, you know, yeah. Switzerland across all these different chipsets with yep. this stuff. But the bulk of our workloads are still Intel with this. 
And so doing things like TPM2 to commission the box and know that the, that box that boots up is our box. Right. And doing that commissioning step as part of this, uh, be able to do all encryption at rest and, you know, do the data yeah. persistence. Also incredibly important for yeah. edge. Net, yeah. Network bound edge, and, you know, disk encryption is part of this using the Lux project, Clevis and Tang all combined. Um, and uh, so we've got this pattern for how to do this right and make this thing a lot more like a, a Linux appliance, right? Right. Versus an OS that an IT guy has to administrate. Yeah. Um, so you can come build these appliances. No, so immutable OS with safe transactional, safe patching, and then also with the ability to do a secure bomb and build it like know everything that's running on that box and make sure it's your stuff. If it's signed containers or right. signed content, you can validate that. And if it doesn't, you do the check against the TPM. If fa it fails, kick it out. Right. So you can commission and decommission automatically without having someone have to babysit it. And so that's, that's a, awesome. That's a it's a big change in how we can do a you know production edge deployment for critical infrastructure yeah. and not you no know, like everyone's doing monitoring type use cases because right. they're scared. Yeah. But we now have a way to do like closed loop processing in an OT environment cool. with this. Uh, I think that's we were just having a our last guest, uh Jeff, we were just having a conversation about, you know, oil field generally speaking, goes in kind of uh evolutionary steps, right? And so it's you know, it went from writing things down on a notepad or putting them in a physical notepad mm. or putting them in a spreadsheet to now we're monitoring things with IOT devices and we're streaming the data. Yep. And then the next evolution of that is true closed loop automation yep. where you deploy ML models on the edge and they're, you've got federated learning where they're learning locally and pushing the, the, uh, the learnings up to the mother model in the cloud. Yeah. And that mo model gets accelerated, you know, the learnings of it get accelerated because of that and all of this fun stuff. And so, it's really nice to see, like we were talking, you know, it, it, it's very easy to kind of see how you get to that point, but there are all these little nuanced things that, you know, we have to figure out yeah. or, and we have to test and yeah, ruggedize. People, people and, have, they, they, you gotta do the hard things first, yep. right? You can't, if you realize you're gonna do all this work and you won't pass the digital security team's blessing, you waste a lot of time and money. For yeah. sure. So you have to solve the, you know, you know, you know, one of my customers has this process for how they check all their, you know, we're not going to go impact things that make us money unless we know it's safe. Yep, right. Yeah. So risk, risk first thinking. And so that's what we've been aligned to is make sure you do it right versus do it fast. Yeah. I think I saw a meme or video on Twitter the other day and it was like cybersecurity, you know, guy watching all the other IT people do stuff. And it was like a guy on a work site and everyone like doing like stupid shit on the, <laughs> yeah. on the work site. And he's like, just like looking around like what the hell's going on. Yeah. But I mean, I mean, and it, I get it because like I'm more developer first. So like, I just want to make shit work and do yeah. it. But then there's a whole other side of it. Like yeah. you have to do it securely and have to do it right. There, like there's different illities that an OT guy thinks about than an yeah. IT guy thinks about. And the IT guy will, in any fight, Right. Yeah. These guys are, you know, coming from very different angles in some mm -hmm. case. And I'll say this, there's a lot of OT guys that are brilliant, right? yeah. but they don't have the same background as an IT guy and they can come in and do things quicker. So management goes, well, that's better. It's faster. It's yeah. more agile. Well, the risk associated with doing it agile sometimes is not identified unless you're salty enough to know what the risk is. Yeah. And so it's funny. It gives me more appreciation for my OT guy because his stuff is locked down and he will not budge. Like, no, no you're not punching a hole in my network for no, this. Like, <laughs> but the things they want to do this, they yeah. just, they have different priorities. And sure. so 
the ITOT conversion everyone talks about is really about educating each other yeah. and enabling each other. And so they, OT guys can do amazing things. It's just that their tools and their controls are so locked down and so yep. seen, like their big brother stuff on that stuff. Yep. It's a difficult environment to work in. And so the idea here by using open interoperable process controls that you know, ExxonMobil has been very public about with the OPATH and all that, uh, we're working on helping them, right? Trying to get into a place where you can treat infra, you can treat your OT assets like IT assets, sure, and be able to do it like in getting the human out of the loop, which it helps with the de-risking of the deployment. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's that's the bigger story we're working on. I mean, I feel like it's maybe a good kicking off point, just to maybe even step back and talk yep. about Red Hat, like for sure, because I feel like maybe I'm seeing a theme for the different Red Hat like, kind of branches, but like just you know where Red Hat started is like with a whole Linux distribution, how it compares, you know, on the operating system side, but it seems like, I mean, there's a certain mission that you guys serve, you know, that's pretty consistent across the board of like providing like a really robust and, you know, enterprise. support enterprise grade. Yeah. Um, yeah. We're, we're, you know, Red has a huge presence in DOD public sector, yeah. federal type places. Like it's actually a mandate over there to, to yeah. use open source, but do it properly secure. Sure. Right. Right. And so, you know, we have great, you know, I used to do DOD at Oracle and, you know, that was fun time and all that. But yeah. um, once uh, Red Hat really started sneaking in, it, it made sense to, you know, join the winning team. Sure. So, um, but overall the, you know, Red Hat started over, you know, it's, it's almost 30 years old company, okay. right? And, um, you know, it started as, uh, you know, the guy named Bob Young was the founder. And basically, you know, this was a, a building a Linux distribution off of, you know, Torvald's work. Yep. And so, um, you know, fast forward a few years, Red Hat became the enterprise thing. And really we just started turning off Solaris everywhere. Okay. So turning out, you know, the Unix wars were, were, were dying and we cleaned up. Sure. Right? That's how Red Hat really grew. And, um, and really became a trusted partner for a lot of, 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 uh, you know, people that built all these applications on Unix, they needed a place to land. Yep. But the Unix, um, distro is dying up. So, I look at the clouds today, it's kind of like the new Unix wars in some ways. Yeah. yeah. And proprietary lock-in strategy, particularly around sure. the data. <laughs> and, um, but overall it's like, it's more about the design of what you're building. So my fight with, you know, when I come into a shop, they'll be like, oh, we're mono cloud, we're an Azure shop, right? Yeah. So, but lo and behold, two years later, they're, they're not mono cloud, right? Cause they're, they don't have, they lose the ability to leverage and negotiate mm, if yeah. you build to a single cloud. Right. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the data strategy with some of these clouds is predatory, particularly if you need to get out of there. Yeah. I was going to say, it's, it's not on the ingestion side as much yeah, as it is on the, yeah, the egression, you, 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 whoever you're negotiating guys are, you know, Equinix can help solve some problems here, Yeah, but still depending on which cloud you're with, the uh, your egress cost is. Yeah. I mean, oh, look how cheap S3 is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Just, just load it in. Right. Yeah. So it's uh you know, the snowball is a one way trip, right? Yep. The snowmobile. <laughs> You know, that's a different, yeah. and when they're bringing an 18 wheeler to your facility to move data, watch out. So, yep. Uh, but, um, <laughs> no, I mean, that's, that's, we've had this conversation around APIs and stuff and it's mm -hmm. like people get pissed off when there's not an API or they have to pay for the API. Like we were talking about it because X Twitter, yep. you know, started locking their stuff down, but it's one of those things where it's like, it costs money every time you hit the damn thing. Yep. So yes, it's nice to have, and it's almost come to be an expectation, but you know, you also have to be responsible with it. And I can't tell you how many people we've, I've talked to, we've had on the show where it's like, yeah, we had an API and then we would have someone that just had like a loop running all of the time, yep. hitting it every 
however many seconds yep. and it's just costing us money every time. So we have to put limitations on it and things yep. like that. And it's, it's the same thing with a lot of the cloud stuff, right? It's, yeah. The, the, you, you lose control over your cost. Yeah. You're the behold, you're, you're beholden to someone else ways they want to run your business. Now data ownership is one of those things. It's the data ownership is a big part of the business yeah. here, but yeah, being able to, understand how those products are managed on the cloud and you depend upon it. They can make, it's like, well, we're going to turn this one off and we're going to do it to this one. Yeah. Good Dang luck migrating. Right. right. Um, and so, but overall, I think it's understanding you want, part of what OpenShift provides is the ability to run a private cloud anywhere. And it can be on the public cloud or a private cloud. Right. And it can address sovereignty concerns. It allows you to choose the data gravity you want. Right. And, but the idea is I can, uh, I have, I can design things for, it becomes my asset. Right. So it, this, it, where we really struggle in trying to get people to understand is what, what does cloud native mean? Right. Cloud native is more like 12 factors, right? It's, it's yeah. how you build things, not what services you turn on that right. someone else owns. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> so your designs should override using those, you know, leverage those services, but building the abstraction layers right. and mediation layers to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. So your it, asset yeah. is your asset. It can deploy anywhere. I was say, build it. Particularly so for an ISV. You limit your customer reach by building something that only runs in certain regions. Yep. Yeah. What we so. talked about with like um, Starseer. I mean, to being able to work in, yep, like say Saudi or some of these other com- countries, yep. like you, it has to be able to run yep. on their soil and like yeah, on their servers. To, like, yeah. and they're not like particularly anything seismic related. That's never going to cloud. Yeah. The, the first of all, the economics don't work for storage. Sure. It's also you. You know, you pay more it's, to rent things generally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Over long term, twenty. Cloud should be leveraged for on-demand things. Yeah, the burst for temporary things. Yeah, long-term stuff, especially when you know what the demand is. Yeah, it, it, you need predictability in this. People are, you know, using tools like Cloudability and stuff like that to try and do forecasting, but it's hard to dot all the i's and cross all yeah, the t's sure. when you have changing demands. Well, yeah, always. And I think one of the things that I mean, I saw this firsthand when I was selling Edge is. A lot, especially in the energy space, you know, a lot of the primarily Azure, but it's all, I mean, it's all the cloud that's their strategy across the board is they'll come in and they'll give these major companies huge amounts of credits Mm -hmm. to get them locked into the platform. Right. And so it's like, well, Hey, you know, the edge allows you to push a lot more of that load down data centers off of you. Right. But why would I need edge if I am not going to touch, you know, if I'm only 10% 10% through my credits. And it's like, well, are you going to be like that in a year or two? Like how it's no. only a matter of time to when no you start realizing launch. that there's yeah. a cost associated to this. And the more you build on it, the higher that cost is yeah. going to get. Yeah. The, the, the stickiness of these things is, you know, the credits is definitely one of their sell strategies. Yeah. Right? And we deal with that a lot, but you have to have good leadership inside to realize you have to have longer term thinking. Yeah. Cause there is no free lunch with this stuff. Well, and that's, I mean, uh, that's what. That's why all the big tech companies exist because they think in the the infinite game, not yeah. in the short term game. Um, well, it's also because so much job jumping. Yeah, it's not my problem when I get out of here. Yeah, <laughs> right. No, yeah. So ultimately, the top leadership needs. Or to it's cyclical. To, I mean, I, yeah. And it, the accountability. Are they willing to pay for Red Hat or not? Yeah. Know? Well, it. it I'm I mean, because I mean, Linux is free, right? Linux is totally free. Yeah. Everyone should use free Linux. So, but um, but. But again, the whole no such thing as free lunch. I mean, like you mentioned earlier to us, I mean, but maybe you want to talk about where you can like actually save money on the audit. So, you know, like mm-hmm. I think there's stuff like that. I mean, yeah, like, uh, yeah, that was, um, 
you know, we we work in utilities as well, and we've come out with ways to solve some tough problems around NERC SIP compliance, right? Mm. So you can build your applications for a utilities company. Now, most utilities companies buy their software. Sure. There's a few who don't, and that's a growing trend. And we're looking at the projects in the LF Energy, and there's some great things around ADMS mm-hmm. and DR, uh, EV charging station projects in there. Um, you know, but, you know, there's a lot of pressure to modernize grids. Sure. With, um, um, you know, bespoke solutions. Like we're working with uh, GE, for example, they're trying to modernize 40 years of tech debt, right? So, um, but, um, you know, there's all kinds of strategies for these ISVs to leverage these things properly to build a better business for them, right? And having that, going back to that cloud native thing, that needs to be, keep their eyes on the prize with that versus something I can turn on very quickly and get value out of, but then ultimately it's not the best thing for my business long term. So it's, you have to do the work sometimes, but really you just have to, Focus on enablement and yeah. keep your focus. Understand how to measure the the outcomes you care about against those those metrics. And so, um, you know, a lot of firms out there are looking for quick wins and quick, mm. quick, quick, you know, quick consumable projects. But ultimately, I think it's at a foundational level, you have to have good architecture uh, yeah. guys that understand the cost of their choices. And a lot of guys are. <clears throat> It, it's hard. Yeah. Like yeah. It, it, it is hard, particularly with the pressures a lot of guys are under well, quarterly or yeah. annually. That's what I mean. Thing. Like, people won't bat an eye to spend money on Microsoft or Windows. Yeah. I mean, like, so I mean, it maybe kind of makes some the comparison and con- contrast between, like, say, Windows, Windows Server, and Red Hat. And then you've got Linux. I mean, I mean, could it be as simple as someone like that they usually do stuff on Ubuntu or, you know, their favorite open source Linux? I mean, like, is it pretty easy to move over? So Red Hat. I mean, yeah, yeah. So like moving workloads on the Red Hat, it's you know, it's not a big deal. Like actually, like if you're a .NET developer, mm-hmm. .NET runs better on Red Hat. Okay. Um, like the .NET Core stuff. Yeah, right? .NET Core stuff. Yeah. But you know, going you know, the windowing stuff, ceiling that doesn't run there. SQL Server runs better on Red Hat, like by far. Like yeah. it's, it's a and it's weird. It's like you know, and Microsoft's cool with this because really they care more more about Azure than their Windows revenue these days. Sure. And so Microsoft and Red Hat, it's like cats and dogs sleeping together now. It's, it, you know, we, we truly are partners. Azure, um, you know, runs Ansible, it runs OpenShift. Yep. So ARO is Azure Red Hat OpenShift. Um, and Ansible and RHEL all run there just fine. And so, um, but yeah, we're, we collaborate more now. And it's good for the industry. It's, yeah, good, it's yeah. good if we're not all siloed and yeah. trying to fight over everything. Collaboration, I feel like regardless of what it is, generally always benefits the masses and i yeah. ho- hope the oil field continues to get yeah. more progressive yeah. in that oil and gas companies in particular the guys who write software in this in this industry are trying to work better together yeah it's hard no i mean a lot so, of it is you know um, not to demean anybody that is working on this but it's almost like the bottom up approach where it's like we're forcing it we're trying to force it into the companies, the industries and stuff. And at some point, once you get up the ladder, someone is, you know, putting a, a stop to it or throwing up, you know, whatever X, Y, and Z risks and stuff yeah. like that. But it's one of those things that it's like Colin used, used this analogy the other day. It's like when probably 10, 15 years ago, when we really started getting into the swing of things with the, the unconventional shale fracks and stuff, how much better would we have been had we shared all of the data and the learnings yeah. from all of that stuff. Yeah. How many reservoirs will we not have completely destroyed the value of because we were 
putting all these wells too tightly over fracking uh, them and yeah. causing all this communication issue. Like <clears throat> communication is still a problem and we've been doing it. We've been talking about it for six, seven, eight but, years now. Well, and we've said before, like, you have really smart people all solving the same problem at different places. <laughs> yeah. There, there's, right. there's, there's, With, there's better reducing your engineering costs mm-hmm. yeah. by sharing the right thing, particularly if you're going to, you know, there's negative impact from a, like a water flood. Mm-hmm. Event, right. Yeah. And, or, um, you know, all this horizontal stuff is yeah. all crazy, but, um, but yeah, it's overall, we could collaborate in a different way yeah. and get better operational efficiencies for mm-hmm. everybody and safety. And, you know, there's other things about how you, you know, socialize some of the equipment yep. and the, the best practices. I always, you know, I, uh, this is, this is a little, I'll, I'm going to do something here. So fracking came out of an open source mentality, right? Mitchell's started opening up and talking to people. Yep, yeah. Right. Like we wouldn't be in this, very true. this, this whole thing without a different attitude towards yeah. collaboration and, and being open. Yeah. Yeah. So, so openness and meritocracy wins. Experimentation. Right. Yeah, the ability yeah. to just say, Hey, let's try but something open, out. But bring your competitors in and talking and working out together. Yeah. The hive mind wins. Yeah. Right? yeah. We so, can all do really well. Yeah. 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 Rising tide lifts all boats. Right. Like yeah. That's so that mentality, like, like some of these consortia things are an attempt to do that, but it's still too much monetization first, right? Yeah. Versus getting it right. John loves consortia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, we're, uh, we need like a, a, a consortium rant counter yeah. on, on well, our well, episodes. I, cause, uh, I say, you know, I participate in these things and they're slow moving. It's mm-hmm. just because we're, you know, we're hampered with the legal groups, mostly in these companies yeah, is the main fair. problem. So we're, see, it's always legal or IT, sometimes procurement, but uh, most, I can see him going slowing down a lot because you have too many engineers in the room too. But. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, we also true. are very good at, uh, over complicating, over designing, over engineering is our yeah. skill set. Yeah. Too. Also <laughs> playing who's the smartest guy in the room just to say that I'm the smartest guy in the room. Um, but yeah. alpha geeks are, yeah. are, 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 are <laughs> oh, it gets even worse when you combine an alpha geek and an alpha engineer into one person. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, uh, no, I mean, it's a, it's a, I, it's crazy to me that the IT, the tech industry has all of the, has had all these consortiums that have spun out so much great things that literally yeah. impact everyone's day or life on a daily basis. Bluetooth, Wi-Fi, USB, like yep. those three right out of the gate, right? Like everything it, is better because of those things. Yep. We don't really have that equivalent in oil and gas. Well, I'll say Wits ML is not. I was horrible. gonna say Wits is Wits and like the EDR yeah. is really yeah. the first and only thing. But even but then, like, we bring that up and it's just like, is it just Stockholm syndrome? Like that's the one thing we can point out. Like that it's not even yeah. people don't even like it that much. It's just <laughs> well, like, okay, so it, but it's actually a standard that we can use. Well, once it got off its soap, it stopped sucking as much. Yeah. So, so WebSocket, you know, yeah, yeah, ETP is a good thing. But yeah, why call it ETP? Why just call it WebSocket? Yeah, like it's yeah. like. We have to put new verbs and make it complicated. Yeah. Yeah. Or we have to get, and that's the other thing too. Like we've, Bobby and I have had this conversation a number of times is it's like, who cares what the data format, the final data format is, as long as the data is structured in this, like the data yeah. structure is way more important. Yeah. You know, what, who cares if it's XML, JSON, like whatever text, yeah. it doesn't matter because the well, data science, the person on the end of yeah. it can figure out how to map it. It just needs to be a structured repeatable. I can get the same thing every time. I can do something with it. Right. Well, getting like, so, okay. So they're here. We're getting to some like right now, like OPC UA versus spark plug B. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't know if y'all are following that yeah. kind of stuff. OPC UA has been around forever, right? It's got over engineering things in it, but it's what a lot of these devices 
Wrong. use, yep. right? And the OPA is tied to, you know, OPCUA formats and the DM, the new DM thing is an attempt to clean this up. But yeah, it's still, it's, it's how do you do stuff in flight and not break things. Yep. Yeah. And so additive engineering processes where I can make changes safely. That's what you need to, that's what going back to cloud native, I want to be able to add new services without impacting current things <laughs> right. till we get it right. And then be able to roll it out cleanly. That's what this whole edge ops things can do. But the Sparkplug B guys, like they're more midstream right now. So like Seriously, Garland, Nipper, mm -hmm. you know, if you know these guys, uh, have done a great job using that format and it's now donated to the Eclipse IoT. And so I think it, it's a much more simple, much more clean architecture. And so it's easier to like, you don't have the cognitive load, right? OPC mm -hmm. foundation, all of its concerns. Yeah. And Sparkplug B is a, you know, a, a canonical way of getting the data shape that everyone can agree to and can do like the UNS stuff. Right. So, you know, I think we're, we're like, we're looking to support both. Well, we are through partners. We support both today right. and we have our own MQTT that no one uses, but that's okay. Uh, but you know, most people use mosquito or a version of mosquito mm -hmm. for that component. But um, yeah, getting the mediation layer cleaned up and make it easy to do integration. You know, like I would always say it's like a million dollars per integration you know, endpoint, right? We can get that down and we've got a partner we're, we're working with called Litmus IO now who does a good job. We have Matricon data broker supported on Red Hat now. So they, they can run as a bare metal OPC UA broker. They have a containerized UBI container running on us and now they've built an OpenShift operator too. So I have this full spectrum of how I want to run my OPC UA process right. uh, with Red Hat. Uh, so we've been you know targeting all these new OT Vendors that you know, if you're going to containerize stuff, we're going to be there to help you. Yeah, right? sure. If you want to modernize and you know clean clean up your tech debt here and make it easier to consume and spin up, make it all declarative deployments and automated deployments, you know, yeah. we'll be there to su support you. Yeah, I so, think one other big thing in this space, talking to all you operators out there, Bobby, you included, is nothing will change until the operators yeah. require it, right? And yeah. so. Having operators, and this is finally starting to happen, right? Like out of the gate, it was, okay, well, we're going to need you to be able to stream some on the ops side, at least. We're going to need you to stream your data, right? Like that's slowly been working its way into contracts and procurement and stuff like that. But the next step is, okay, not only do we need the data, but we need you to talk to each other. And yeah. the data needs to communicate with the other dozen service providers that are also on the location who are providing us data as well and by the way reminder this is still all our data yeah. i know you generate it but it is our data and therefore it needs to be uh as open and you know interactive across different platforms companies data structures and stuff as we can get it and i think that is one of the main reasons that a lot of our consortiums don't end up that well is because there are plenty of operators in it but there's also a lot of service companies in it that yep. have their own agendas and you know everyone has to make money. And so there's all these conflicting kind of uh, incentives almost that never end up working out very yeah. well. Well, it's part of this going back to the realization all software companies, all companies are software companies, yeah, right? Yeah. And no one gas still thinks they're a drill bit company <laughs> in some cases. Uh, drill bits are very important. I love drill bits, but ultimately it, there's not a unique differentiation there. Uh, organizations that, no, I'll say this, and not trying to get in trouble, but if you're, if you, how much you spend on SAP, I think determines how much you think of software. So, um, so 
That's a great, so, that's true. So if you don't value software, you don't invest properly. Yeah. You know, I was here, I, you know, all these you know, organizations that run around saying they're agilists now, they fundamentally don't get it still. Yeah. It's like they're not really building things for them. Yeah. They're still leveraging other people's stuff. So you're beholden to them. Yep. But that's the market, right? It, it's the reality of it. Um, some organizations are differentiating. There's yeah. you know, some people are owning their own assets and they, they're gaining the, they're going to be leaner, meaner, mm-hmm. tougher. They're going to be able to deal with when it goes back down to 40 or under. Yeah. Well, right? and, I mean, it's just one of those things too. Like we'll put yourself in the client's shoes. If you're an operator and you can choose option A, which doesn't have an integration with whatever on-site vendor that you're using or option B, which does have an integration with on-site vendor mm-hmm. and they're the same price or close to it. Why wouldn't you go with the one that has the integration just to make your life easier, right? Like yeah. the, the, just the mindset behind a lot of the, the reasons why people aren't, you know, collaborating and opening APIs up and stuff are just kind of archaic and old and all honesty. Yeah. Um, and as, as this starts to become the expectation in the industry, then more and more people will do it. They're going to be forced to do it. Yeah. And so um, we're, we're seeing it. It's, it's slow as with most innovation in the oil field, but it is, it is happening. Speaking of kind of partnerships and stuff, I know y'all had, y'all had a couple of press releases within the last week or so. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to hit on the, the Intel ECI and then also the, the guys one. I'm really okay. interested in that one because yep. my background obviously, but yep. um, wanted to ask you about this. Yeah. So this was Intel innovation was this week, earlier this week. And uh, we had a few, I don't know when this will be released, but probably yeah. a couple of weeks. Yeah. So weeks. just, you know, whatever today is September or something, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, Intel innovation, we had a couple things aligned there. You know, Intel's a big partner of us. I'm, the space room, the Canon was started by us and Intel together um, to support the OSU community. Right. And, um, but we launched um, uh, guys. AI is a partner of ours. They're doing the accelerated by Intel program. And um, they've designed an edge ops platform that, allows you to deploy to Red Hat Device Edge, a containerized workload, without having to have real skills there. So it's a easy button, yeah. a GUI, as it were. It's, well, uh, it's like for, a low code for, is it yeah. explicitly? Basically, I can commission, for, I can set up locations and set add devices to it, and then commission and deploy workloads to it without opening up a CLI at all. And are they, yes. they're kind of framing that focused on some of these edge use cases yeah so like they computer their, vision and their background is they were like a computer vision shop and so they would build a custom cd yeah. image for you so they have in our if you go to red hat catalog for containers they've got like an agent gender thing and they've got a mm. apparel logo thing yeah they do car logos so some basic things just to show off their capabilities right but then they can come in and build like a flare monitoring solution yep. or a, a safety ppe thing or whatever right mm. and um so they were working, they were deploying on Pies, Raspberry yeah. Pies, wow. and using Bellina OS, and they couldn't get any of the security stuff right. properly. So now they're using Ansible, and they're deploying to Red Hat Device Edge, and they're using Quay as their container registry. But they've built this nice tool on top of it. That just handles all It does that. all the security out for you, so you don't have to be, you don't have to be an expert there. So it really lowers the bar to using Red Hat infrastructure. But you, know, you could be like a, a Windows guy or VMware yeah. skilled guy that just likes to click on GUIs and you can do that now with our, with this, this partner platform. That's sweet. So it simplifies, you know, edge deployments yeah. at scale. No, I mean, I think it. that's, that's a big, I've talked, I talk about a lot when we talk about edge, but you know, the ideas are there, but there's all these kind of nuances that 
apply to edge, especially especially in oil and gas, where yep. you've got you know, limited connectivity, you've got ruggedized con- you know, weather connectivity, you've got people on site, you've got different vendors, different data sources, all this stuff. Um, but the ability to manage and deploy to these disparate locations and stuff like we talked about earlier is it's one of the last things that people yep. like really think about, right? It's like, oh, well, I've got it stood up and, you know, in our lab on this test thing or over at the Chevron, you know, in the Canon at the Chevron lab and it's running here. But, okay, well, how do I manage that when I have a thousand of them yep. out in yeah. the field and they all have various levels of connectivity and different networks and all this stuff. Um, so it's it's really cool that that you guys have that. And I'm personally, most of the applications we were looking at when I was at HiveCell um, in the oil and gas space, a good number of them were really around computer vision, whether yep. like you mentioned flaring, I mean, that's a huge one, right? Being able to, yeah. uh, some, but I guess like someone drives on location, right. like safety, we, we talk about stuff like water haulers, like you pick up like their sticker yep. to yep. see what company it was and then see what time they were in and out. Yeah. And, you know, like no, your I mean, service contract. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. your, I've been saying this for damn near a decade now, but like your entire frack, all the logistics and stuff around your materials, your chemicals, your sand, all the stuff that is constantly moving on a frack site that is still very archaically done through mob tickets and physical pieces of paper. It's like, hey, the trailer leaves the sand mine, it gets weighed on a scale, it's got a a, a QR code on the door and a RFID tag, and when it leaves the site, it now knows that this vehicle has left the site and it weighs this much, has this much sand in it, it's going to this other location. If you've got a camera or a reader on that site, you now know when it arrives, you know how much sand is there. You can then force that directly into whatever database and then draw off of it. Like you could automate your entire logistics yep. for all of that stuff just yeah. with some basic computer vision stuff. Yeah. The the the, the use cases for CV is amazing. Yeah. And, and predictive maintenance, the end of telemetry mm-hmm. offer, your pumps and your compressors. Even like some HSE stuff too. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, people on location, like that's another big one, right? Is like if, you know, you're on a frack job or a drilling site and there is a catastrophic event and the well blows out or there's an explosion or there's a fire or whatever. There's still not a great way other than get to the mustard station and yeah. go through the list of people on the JSA to know how many people were like, what yeah. happens if the whole thing blows up and no one's out there to notify people to yeah. know who was there yeah, or things can be on fire. People don't yep. know. So a simple camera and these things are getting the cost of this has really come down. Yep. Yeah, it's 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 getting very reasonable. To I mean, look what we got our hands. I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, these and there's like in with lidar and all these uh, emission, yeah. you know, things, IR things, and um, well, and, and especially now where we talk about it, we got a new ESG specialist. I mean, the, the IRA stuff. I mean, so if you're, oh, yeah. you show how you're mitigating, and then also you know, I'm yeah. sure it's, it's not there yet. You know, the rules some are, that are acceptable, but yeah. like the rules are coming. But then what? Oh, sorry. Sorry about that um rules are coming yeah yeah you're but, i mean your like, car, like, your they're carbon what they're going to allow you to do because like, like, right now people still have to go out and do an inspection but i think yeah. it's coming soon where yeah. like they're going to allow technology to yeah. be count as an inspection we've got customers like, doing it already some yeah. people were proactive in this space uh around the emission stuff yep so you know you know like i said we're we're you know we're, we're doing projects in lf climate uh where we're like we build stuff more for FIS, FIS customers to okay. like score their, you know, ETF portfolios for carbon risk. Sure. Right? That's part of the, you know, Goldman chase yeah, kind sure. of guys. But that same data we we've built a, you know, this OS climate project, which can be used by energy companies to 
share information and data about their ESG standpoints. So, you know, these things are scanning all the 10K yeah. looking for carbon problems and building portfolios off of that. Right. Uh, we've got uh, Airbus now contributing their models and their, you know, ESG stances into the, into it. And um, so, yeah, that's a project where we would love to get more oil and gas guys. Yeah. Like the open footprint project line there a little bit. But, um, but yeah, we there's, there's this data science stuff for, uh, computer vision. There's so there's so much value to be had that's low hanging yep. fruit right now. It's the problem is scaling it out, right, yeah. and managing it without. Yeah, you know, well, yeah. They don't even. No yeah. one knows the problem because yeah. they haven't gotten to that point well, yet, right? Like, and that's some folks are doing it, but yeah, you know, they run into bricking the device mm, problem to yeah, keep it patched, yeah. or they don't know how to do the disconnected stuff. Right. So lights out type operations. Yep. So how to do repo syncs and yeah. stuff like that? We can so help with. You bring up data science. I mean, like, why should someone as a data scientist or data analytics? Why should I care about Red Hat? It's just an operating system, right? I mean, I mean, like, you know, so what do you guys offer that yeah. is important so, in this space? So we're, we've got a few things here. So we, we've we been running, like, on the Kubernetes. I mean, you can run, you don't need Kubernetes to run data science. So sure. the inferencing on a Red Hat device edge is a perfect, mm. secure platform for doing it. That we can, pack all those immutable things we talked about. Yeah. But we've also been in certain packages working with Intel for their, like, OpenVINO is in okay. there. One API supports in there. Okay. So I can use the GP, GPU to accelerate things. And we do work with NVIDIA too. So we've got a GPU operator gotcha. that runs on OpenShift. So all the NVIDIA goodness work yeah. works too. Um, <clears throat> and we're working on like Warren IGX boxes. Okay. So for, you know, more edge style yeah. the things for, you know, I need a GPU in the field. Um, and you said y'all also work on ARM as well as Intel, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. We're, 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 we love Intel. We love NVIDIA as well. And, yeah. uh, you know, we love TI, love Qualcomm. We're, you know, we're yeah. big, happy family here. So, um, but yeah, we want to be able to like enable Red Hat on all these right. devices. Agnostic. And like I said, we're working in the RISC-V community as well. So, and that's, a, that's an interesting one. I think that will um, not challenge ARM, but force ARM to clean up some things. Yeah. So we're targeting, you know, system ready eight okay. type stuff uh, with our, with our work right now. It's all in the upstream, but we've got it booting. Like I've got all the, got the, a, a Vantech. Uh, box work in okay yeah so and uh and but um in any case there's there's a um, you know basically we need to be able to map the whole breadth of the compute for yeah. edge so edge is you know these atom class celeron box or core boxes in a lot of cases but the arm stuff is more for these low power use cases yeah. and so um you know be able to you know we're never gonna we're, we're not gonna do pies but you know hardened pies would maybe because fedora 38 runs on pie yeah, but we're not going to support it. Um, but we're going to be able to do these, um, you know, things that are more ruggedized, fanless yeah. boxes, sure. and be able to like just like these phones are converging all types of apps. The IT, the idea is we can converge a bunch of apps through container technology, right? And so I don't need a, I don't, I need to add another box for every use case. Yeah. So yeah, put enough beefiness out there on an edge edge node run and run it. multiple workloads. Yep. So I wanted to ask uh, before we get to the kind of speed round tell tell everybody a little bit more about what you, what you guys are doing with the the lab over here and the chevron guys and, yep. and that whole setup because i don't one of the reasons dw exists is because the energy industry doesn't talk enough about the cool stuff that they're doing and i had the opportunity to go with you on a tour the a couple weeks ago and i was shocked at how much cool stuff y'all had and yep. just the setup in general that it and you're much more knowledgeable about it so i'll let you speak yep. on it but just talk about kind of you know who it's designed for what they need to do to be able to come in and yep. test and do all that stuff. 
Well, you can Google to find out. We have a, a landing page on our website. You can just turn search uh, Intelligent Edge Solutions Center, okay. and you can find me that way. But I'm Archer at Red Hat if you want to find out more about it. Um, but overall, so credit to Chevron. They invested here way before we did, right? They started building their yeah. makerspace there. And so they're there testing 5G stuff out, Starlink, you know, type things. But then all these sensors. I was going to say they have that whole sensor. They world, have a whole sensor. I have no idea. Yeah, right? like, like LoRaWAN and Wi-Fi sensors for all kinds of upstream and downstream use cases. And so, um, you know, Chris Mallette and Paul Wachowski over there run that space. Uh, I work with a lady named Jeanette Martinez. Um, so they're willing to bring, they'll let anyone come in there and see what they're working on. Okay. And so you want to set up a tour, you know, ping me and I can get Jeanette will help us. Yeah. And um, you can see all the fun toys over there, but they've built an AR, VR, XR lab over there. They have a robotics. I was going to say they've got they the, the uh, aquatics center. They're adding that building that used to do the Van Gogh thing is uh, now become an aquatics lab for them. And, uh, but yeah, Chevron's investing to help them innovate. Right. Uh, our connection with them is through the OSDU. And so we're OSDU members. Mm -hmm. um, I'm the focal point in the OSU. And my focus has been OSDU Edge. Right. And so, and this is really focused on production APIs, which are now finally starting to show up in the yes. OSDU community. You know, it's been focused on I'm, seismic and well log. Yeah. Yeah, finally. And uh, there's there's a bunch of contributors working on it. And it's exciting. because So now, you know, getting into the production domain is really now how we can have a, a wider, a, a bigger impact for OSDU. Yeah, for sure. For people that are trying to do like remote valve control. Yep, sure. Uh, understand, you know, uh, tying this to trading might start showing yeah. up. Yeah. So we can actually start impacting the business because I mean, everything's been accounting. Yeah. ESG, production forecasting, right? like production, you know, all the, the business side of yeah. you know, production is now uh, being API driven, yeah. which is, a, 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 you know, for folks using Aries or, you know, mm -hmm. these older production, yeah. Avocet type type stuff. Now we're finally starting to modernize that yeah. USD community. So it's a very, it, We've been kind of waiting for it. We did have a remote valve thing that Intel and Exxon built that we had running there. So Modbus control, yeah. you know, to do valve control, but, um, and then tied that to uh, inductive automation SCADA. Um, so that's in there running there today. Yeah. Uh, but we're bringing all these other, you know, OT workloads that are, you know, they're mostly energy focused, but it's, you know, retail and some other verticals we're, we're addressing too. So, but um, yeah, it's, yeah, anyone's welcome to come in, do the cool. tour. We're there to set up to do innovation. We can do workshops, do POCs, pilots. Um, we have hardware available for use. So we have hardware from OnLogic, Avantech, yeah. and Intel. So for Edge devices and some of the Novo gear too. So if you're developing software for Edge or for Oilfield, this is the perfect playground for you to come and experiment, show it off, yeah. learn, uh, get direct feedback from a major oil and gas operator. Um, like I said, it's, to me, it's just, it's one of those really, one of those things, just like a lot of stuff that we do. It's really cool. It's really fascinating. It's opens a lot of opportunity, but hardly ever gets talked about. So I wanted to bring yeah. it up but yeah, we're, just because our doors have been open for a little bit and we're still, you know, trying to figure out how to leverage it yeah. the right way. Yeah. And, um, we've done quite a few workshops with customers. We've had a few open events through consortia and, uh, but yeah, we're, we're, if y'all want to come check it out and, you know, work with us we, yeah. we've got a we've got a stock candy store over here yeah so yeah no it's well i mean it's one of the biggest things right when you're with a lot of early energy startups is it's like hey i've got this idea because i came from whatever background and i know there's this problem in this space but i don't know how to 
I don't have a place to go test my sensor or mm -hmm. this software in a pseudo production environment or in a lab environment, even just being able to have a spot to go test it because it's like you, okay, well you developed this software that runs, it's this machine learning model. Well, you need inputs from sensors to run the model, but you don't have any sensors and if you have a startup and you have no money, you can't go buy them. Yeah. And so we're simulators only go so far. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a, uh, yeah, no, I, I love that we have these things and we're getting more and more of them. And I, I, like I said, I just want to give as much exposure to that as possible because it's a yeah. great resource. In my yeah, I love to see y'all guys over there more playing yeah. around. So it's, um, yeah, the, I think the community needs like, you know, there's, you know, the makerspace Chevron's built, you know, all these, you know, like Exxon's got his digital garage and, you know, BP's got something like this, but they're the first ones doing it in kind of an open community. Right. right. So that openness again is critical to to knowledge share and to have the information spread more quickly. Yeah. So, but yeah, kudos to Chevron for doing this. And, and we built actually we built a what I call a visual inspection demo um, with the it's really just detecting if the beer labels applied yeah. properly. So so they sponsored us for that spot and we used that at our user conference. Yeah. As a way to show off. Um, a way to kill Mettler Toledo devices. I don't know, but in any case, but it's, um, I really just want to get all the equipment to build my own brewery. I'm really <laughs> yeah. trying to do So <laughs> you're halfway there. You well, got the bottling stuff, that, right? So, so, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, but, but I've got a line aside on all the vendors now. Yeah. So. But, uh, it's a, it's a good space for, um, uh, like, you know, the MTC at Microsoft has a good space too for doing community events, but the, I, the Canon does as well. Yeah. So, so folks should be aware of the Canon and Canon's done a great job. Uh, they're spread out across the city now pretty well. Yeah. And so really like working with those guys too. That's cool. We got five minutes left. So we're going to jump into the kind of speed round for you. Okay. Um, any last minute things we didn't touch on you think people need to know about? Well, I, didn't, I didn't think I really gave you the proper, I talked about guys, I don't really talk about the Intel OPA thing. Or the, so the Intel ECI announcement that came out, um, you know, I wrote a blog like three years ago about, Hey, we're going to start working on this. And you know, the, you know, we were learning about OPATH and you know, Exxon will say they've been working on it for 13 years. Uh, but they, you know, the OPATH started like what five, six years ago. And, um, but really what we were trying to do is start doing an open test bed. So over here, we're going to build a test bed and allow people to come in and check it out. Yeah. And so Exxon's been doing this with Yokogawa for a few years. Um, and, um, and Yokogawa is doing a great job and has built a lot of uh, great IP for them, but we want to try to open it up. Right. And so, um, and figure out how we can go faster and make a better product. Right. And so, um, so that's something what we've announced here. So the Intel ECI framework is an, is a reference architecture to build an OPA OPAS style testbed. Mm. Okay. So we've been working with Schneider and working with Yokogawa. And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're open to working with anyone who wants to, you know, come play with us. Cool. But, you know, trying to build open interoperable process controls right. is the stated goal here. Help, you know, do best of breed on a converged device. Be able to, you know, have Rockwell, Honeywell, right. Schneider, Emerson. Just make it agnostic. Yeah. Right. It's basically, it's it, process control has been kind of proprietary locked in yeah. silos, right? There's a lot of value in opening up things, right? Not... <laughs> The mediation layer is one thing, but the ability to just, you know, like I said earlier, treat the OT assets like IT right. assets. Plug and play. That's the goal. Yeah. And make it easy. Like make this uh, standards. Like there's a big, I remember I used to go to the the SLC meetings. I don't know if I remember those things. 
like it was back before, like energistics and okay. mimosa and all these guys and the push was to make energy more like southwest airlines right hmm. like one jet one motor you know yeah, one, easy to work on like you know how to do the maintenance you right? and you can fix it like the, it's the same idea you get much more operational efficiency to your business and better margins right if you have a predictable known path and you don't increase the cognitive load you reduce the cognitive yep. load so and you have better documented processes and yeah just it's it's more predictable easier. yeah sure so and that's ultimately that's that's what we're trying to get to with the ot side so more downstream use cases and refineries and chemical plants but the idea is you allow chemical engineers to experiment they can do right. data science versus just hit a button okay right? so being able to do safe uh, experimentation in this environment is the idea i could put my python code on the actuator as close as i can yeah and impact the business like improve the yield or sure. reduce the cost of the process right um there's a very exciting thing that just came out uh, microsoft has been working on protein folding models so mm. kind of like a stable diffusion idea mm -hmm. well that can be used for catalyst uh chemical creation yeah. as well so who's doing that in right. oil and gas right so i'm excited about the protein folding because of health reasons yeah. but seeing it applied in different ways to do material science on you know what have been well established right. dupont oe cycles for years uh, and to you know start improving what's been a very kind of you know you know mature process yeah. to look for new ways of doing things and create new materials yeah so so that, that kind of stuff is you know I want to work on that. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, so it's called Evo Diff in case y'all. You know, okay. So it's open source model for Microsoft. So yeah, know, props to Microsoft here. So yeah, and I mean they've done a great job of making themselves. Yeah, you know, they were the anti open source, and then like all of a sudden, like overnight, <laughs> they like, became a better Red Hatter. Yeah, is what the way I look at it. No, it's, yeah, I mean like how they bought GitHub, and I mean they were yeah. even when they bought it, I think they were like the largest contributor yeah. on GitHub. I mean like well, yeah, a lot of people were like, why are they buying GitHub? This doesn't make sense. And then I remember, I don't, you might've told me that, yeah. but I remember hearing that and being like, oh, well, okay. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you know, when I was Java guy, I, I remember the days of gray APIs, right? Yeah. Where they had their own APIs, they did document, and they published APIs that were different, slower, to hurt their competition. <laughs> of course. Right? I'd like to think they aren't going to do that again, but, but oh. overall, I think Microsoft's become a great advocate for open source. Yeah. Yep. Um, and, uh, Really, if you if we're all just focused on the customer and the outcomes they care about, this all gets solved. Yeah, hundred so, percent. So, and um, you know, there's um, all kinds of new things coming out with all this generative stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, Red Hat. Uh, one thing I did want to mention: uh, we've got generative tools in Ansible now, and OpenShift. Mm. So we have something called Ansible Lightspeed, which will generate playbooks for you. That's really cool. So you can you don't have to you can reduce the cost of your Ansible dev wow. with this tool, and it, it's built off the you know, we have a huge community of Ansible playbooks called Galaxy. Okay. So you anything you want to automate, there's land party whole setups in in, <laughs> in there. Awesome. And, but there's like, <laughs> I want to configure all the Wi-Fi in my or my SD WAN. Right. Or I want to deploy, you know, my whole, you know, suite of applications. Yeah. That's really cool. So uh, all that's been trained on that, those Galaxy playbooks. And it's all but what we're doing though is explainable AI. Right. Mm -hmm. So showing the sources. <laughs> Very important. <laughs> so the ethics is is a lot easier to to disseminate. Yeah. If you're showing the source. Yeah. And that's one big problem with all this LLM stuff. Yeah, big time. People are kind of hiding. Well, what's really bad right now is all the the data usage policy policies being updated behind mm -hmm. the scenes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A little sketchiness there. But you clicked accept. 
Yeah, you did. You, you, yeah. Totally, you totally just gave us everything. You definitely read all of the terms of, of service. <laughs> and, and, yeah. yeah, and conditions. Yeah. Well, thank so, God we have all the European yeah. uh, commissioners yeah, actually right reading the, the truth. Reading it, not us. So. Um, yeah, so I mean, I guess we're probably going to jump into that. Yeah. I think probably, that was probably, the open source stuff was probably a good segue into one of the speed around questions. What's your favorite open source library or oh, repo? Cool. Well, for energy stuff, the Equinor has done a great little seismic yeah, yeah. utility. I wrote a little blog on it, but okay. it's, um, you know, for oil and gas stuff, there's, yeah, you know, like Welly, you know, use sure. that. And that was a good one. But the, the stat oil um, um, seismic one I really like. Yeah, um, that's really good. What about non-oil and gas, just in general? Oh, good Lord. Um, well, there's so much. That, I know. So, I mean, I've been playing a lot with um, uh, Piehole. So I don't know if y'all remember no, Piehole. So it's a little utility for running a, uh, like a, a proxy at your house. And, oh, so nice. you're, you're, and yeah, you do the at home stuff, home assistant. Sure. So that stuff's fun to play with. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I do play with Blina too. I'll admit to that. So it's okay. So, and, uh, but that, that's become a little mixture of commercial versus open source. Um, but I do a lot of weather stuff too. So I, I have like three weather stations in oh, the cool. backyard. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, my wife always jokes, you should have been a weatherman or something yeah. like that. But, um, <laughs> You can't ever be wrong if you're a weatherman. It doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Or a reservoir engineer. Yeah. Last night I was playing with uh, um, um, a thing to export out the air tags off your phone and share it because that's all locked down to an individual. Hmm. A little project that does that. That's pretty cool. So this edge loaner program we have has you know air tags in them. Okay. And there's commercial versions of this, but the air tags are a lot cheaper. So, yeah. Yeah. So so I can <laughs> yeah, share share out a lot cheaper. Share out the air tag data. Yeah, that's awesome. With that project. Um, but it, I get really I'm geeking out about Evo Diff right now. So the Evo Dev thing I mentioned about yeah. the you know stable diffusion for you know protein folding. So yeah. so it's a um, you know I'm dealing with a a, a rare non-Hodgkin lymphoma, so it's a little self-preservation. Sure, this no, stuff. that's so but, again. But like you talk about like when you do things that matter to you, or like, like yeah, sort yeah. your um you know, your passion can actually drive. Yeah, you know, I'm very interested in how Johnson Johnson runs their GPU operators. Yeah, so. so and if they're using Evo Diff yet, or have it's still not peer reviewed, but uh, the the idea of it is you don't have to sequence the amino acids the same okay. way. Um, but you really, it's like the goal is the shape of protein, so it binds to this protein. Okay. And uh, so I'm on a I'm a MBA Anderson lab rat right now. Yeah. Where they're trying out a they're targeting three proteins on my hmm. I have mantle cell lymphoma it's called, and uh, those proteins are being bound by this this new drug. Okay. And this is all based upon the COVID mRNA mechanisms okay. for how drug discovery can be done quickly. But this is a big little leap, little leapfrog step wow. in the computing you have to do to come up with these drugs. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So drug discovery stuff's kind of cool to me. Yeah, it's really neat. Uh, I think the people like to kind of shit on AI a lot for, oh, it's just like the language models, right? It's just regurgitate. It's, it's a search engine, right? It's yeah. just regurgitating what it, it found statistically to be the best answer or whatever, but where you really see some incredible AI use cases, especially in the edge space is around like the medical field, right? Like one of the, the uh, examples I used at IveCell was, uh, you know, they did a study, I don't I think it was John Hopkins or one of the big uh, universities did a study of, right. Well, at what percentage rate could doctors by themselves diagnose breast cancer? Yeah. What percentage rate could an AI computer vision diagnose it and they were basically comparable um 
I want to say the doctors were slightly higher than the AI was, but then they did a third test where it was AI or doctor assisted AI. So both of them in tandem and it went from like 80 ish percent, I believe up to over 90%, which yeah, it's literally tens of millions of people a year get early diagnosis or it gets caught or it's treatable versus state, you know, full on. And so it's, it's, I think again, everybody gets caught up on the automation side, but the first part of the automation step is this human uh, controlled or human assisted AI. Yeah. Right? Assistant AIs are, are I think everyone's so scared, is this going to replace my job right. kind of thing? <laughs> no. And really it's another tool. And mm-hmm. Well, if, if it, it does, you're not very good at it. You're job, better, right? <laughs> you, like, so my mom was a radiologist. Like she yeah. used to, you know, run, you know, very, very manual, slow mm-hmm. process. But yeah, we've run that. We've run that model, yeah. right? There's a Stanford one for skin cancer too. Yep. But the problem is the FDA is blocking it, it being used, yeah. right? So it's like we have these tools, but the business models mm-hmm. and the legal stuff is preventing a lot of the usage yeah. to impact better outcomes for patients. Yeah. And so I don't want to get into yeah. all that <laughs> mess. So. I'm kidding. Um, uh, two more, so yeah. What is your um, favorite book or most interesting book you've read recently uh-huh. or and uh favorite kind of follow on on linkedin twitter social oh, okay yeah um so favorite book all time well i can go snow crash neil stevenson but cryptonomicon too. i'm a big neil stevenson fan so, okay. so i haven't like the fall was a lot i haven't read his very last book but the are oh, y'all familiar with neil no no okay you need to read neil Stevenson. okay okay so, so the whole idea of like vr mm-hmm. that came out of snow crash Right. Interesting. So, uh, like virtual worlds, all that yeah. stuff, and um, and um, but Cryptonomicon is like three stories. It's in, there's some reality in it, so it's like the Enigma engine from World War II okay. being solved. Interesting. And um, you know, there's Turing, Alan Turing's in the book. And, okay. But it's it's also crypto. So and then he wrote this one series that needed a freaking editor. It was like each book was like a thousand words or, or a thousand pages, and. Um, the, the broke cycle. So if you got through the broke cycle, you're you're a real Neil Stevenson. Okay? <laughs> yeah, but it was really talking about the beginning of banking and currency okay. and hmm. stuff like that. So Neil Stevenson's my favorite author. But I'm reading right now is um, Team Topologies. Is really you've probably heard me say kind of load yeah. five hundred times here. Like, probably because I'm reading this book. Yeah, but it's really talking about how you design teams to get the right balance on the kind of load okay. and how you design for flow. Yeah, pro- product flow should sure. go. And so I bet that's know, interesting. I bet yeah, that's fascinating. Actually. It's we have a we have a group of Red Hat. We have this thing called our Innovation Labs, and they've built a whole library of uh, open practice library. It's called. So for folks that know about the open practice library, it's really the mechanisms for how you, uh, an effective team should run. Right. How you build software, and Team Topologies is a book recommended by that group. So hmm. uh, shout out to Matt Tanaki for that. So cool. So, but um, favorite LinkedIn follow. Or Twitter, um, just in general, whether it's energy, tech. Oh, I, I, well, I'm, I follow Wade Phillips, you know, so, <laughs> so, son of bomb, right? Yeah. So, so. Yeah, actually, actually his, uh, his sister was my social studies teacher. And, oh, yeah? Yeah. Okay. So, like, I remember, like, at the time he was coaching the Bills and Doug Flutie was there, so she had her box of Flutie flags. That's and awesome. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I ran it. So, I went to uh, a wedding in Youngstown, Ohio, uh, just a few weeks ago. Right when the Hall of Fame game was. Okay, yeah. And Wayne Phillips was right on my plane. <laughs> That's funny. So That's I got awesome. sat there and talked to him and his wife. For That's a really cool. It was really awesome. As I've, you know, I'm Earl Campbell, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm, I'm old. So, but um, the, uh, but, you know, Wade Phillips is, uh, he was there for, he had 
I think three players he had coached okay. were going in. So like, you know, aware uh, from Cowboys and mm-hmm. a couple of came out with the other ones. But it was, like, I know he's coaching the Gamblers. So I don't know yeah, if, right. who's, if y'all remember Houston Gamblers. Like when Jim <laughs> Kelly. USFL, yeah. Yeah, US, yeah, Jim Kelly, Gambler days, you know. And so, but um, yeah, Wade Phillips is, you know, he's coached everywhere. Yeah. You know, every type of, yeah. every type <laughs> of environment. <laughs> yep. And I was so happy. Lot. I was happy even though it was Peyton Manning. When Broncos won with him, yeah, and um, so, but uh, yeah, follow Wade Phillips, and uh, here's a bunch of geeky stuff I follow. Sure, but, but <laughs> I'd rather talk about Wade Phillips. <laughs> Fair enough, for sure. One more, or yeah. uh, what's yeah? What's uh, quickly? What is something? What's the most exciting thing you're seeing, or you're excited about in the text? energy tech edge space it doesn't have to be edge specifically yeah. but energy tech or edge well so that's there's a few things that are interesting um I, i'm i'm getting more onto the utilities grid side you know like nothing against oil and gas yeah. you know, stuff like that but um our grids are old yeah right? they're they need like we can't do the renewables without improving the grids um there's a project in LF energy called everest mm-hmm. which is an ev charging station okay. that's fully open source um, nice. that I'm trying to get us to pull in. There's one called CPATH over there. Uh, a couple of like ADMS DR stuff. And, um, but yeah, I think investment in the grid and having all the renewables, it's really a big focus on transmission that like, right. We need a three X improvement in yeah. this. Yeah. We need a 200 X improvement in CCUS. Like we're just like, I'm, you know, thinking about my kids a little bit. Yeah. Right. And, uh, particularly after this summer, like okay. it kind of like, yeah. Okay, this is, this is floating on the edge there. Of key time. Yeah, we we are we are getting dangerously mm-hmm. warmish here. Yeah, and um, you know, I know it's you know, it'll be in the fact that it snowed five times in the last what? Yeah, like, snowing in Houston is also not good. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So, like I I've had to rip out all my you know plants all my hut. Like I'm, I don't oh, know what, no. where to go. Do I buy for hot or buy for cold? <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, they've been run by both. One. I mean, like like you know, Moon Valley is taking all my money. So yeah, it's like yeah. it's like. <laughs> You know, I'm trying to keep, you know, green things growing green and it's, sure. it's hard right now. So. Rock garden. Yeah. So yeah, just, I'm just going to start looking like, you know, Phoenix here. Yeah. So. Yeah. Desert plants are the, uh, we had a desert sage bush at my last house and I could, I, if I wanted to try to kill it, I couldn't. And yeah. I'm convinced anytime I am going to have to replace stuff at our house now in Katie, it's going to be with desert sage because it's super robust and it's really pretty. Yeah. When it rains, it blooms really pretty purple flowers. And when it yeah. doesn't, you can cut it back and it doesn't need a ton of water and it, yeah. it's just a nice healthy thing, but it's such a huge pain in the ass because yeah. you're right. It's like, well, my grass is dead now because it hasn't had any water in six months. My grass was dead in the winter because it yeah, snowed. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it's been, it's, the climate change stuff is, you know, like, like we, we participate in the cop, right. Mm-hmm. With that whole thing. And there's a guy named Bill Wright at Red Hat, who's trying to drive like climate change projects at scale, like through the UN. So he's doing like, he's flew over to Tanzania to like help, like they don't have an alerting system for when it floods yeah. over there. And, um, so like very basic things out in Africa, we take for granted, they don't yeah. have. And so, um, so we're trying to like, uh, do stuff with like bee health. So there's an organization called Enterprise Neurosystem that Red Hat's in okay. where we're trying to do federated learning globally and a lot of it's weather stuff, you know, so IBM had all these weather projects. Yeah. And they donate a lot of that. To, they made a big donation to Hugging Face with these weather models. Nice. And so, uh, but we're now doing acoustics, acoustics on the bees 
and we're trying to do stuff with like oyster beds and clam beds. Right. Those are early indicators of these climate things. Right. Okay. So we have to monitor that more effectively to know at how the macro level right. how we're doing. Sure. Right. And some of that's like, you know, pollution to, yeah, yeah. to waterways yeah. and stuff like that. So, you know, I like the fish and, you know, CCA oh, sure. could get more involved here. If they yeah. Yeah. To. So like Texas A&M, Corpus Christi, and mm-hmm. those kind of, sh- those schools. Um, um, so we've been, one thing I've been working on, uh, we have something called Red Hat Research where we uh, like teach graduate students how to, like how to code, how to use open source. Yeah. And uh, like we did Baylor students over in Bruno, Czechia okay. years ago. So I'm trying to expand that to have oil and gas companies like sponsor students mm. and use that for like, um, and then just for talent through Red Hat Research. And so uh, we have open source projects. You do your your senior thesis right yeah. with us. That's cool. And um, you, know, you build, you learn how to build things. We'll yeah. teach you how to code and stuff like that and how to use Git and how to use, you know, Tekton and right. containers and all this stuff. But huh. if you want to be a driver guy, be a driver guy. But, um, you know, doing this with more targeted stuff, like in these type of projects, uh, you you can get a lot of data. We do a lot of data science at a Boston University and Boston okay. College. Um, and there's other, like we've done some schools in Sweden now, but we haven't really got it going here in Texas hmm. yet. So um, OSU has a university outreach program. We're trying to light up. There's an open source version of OSU in the GitLab now. Okay. So it's not tied to a commercial offering. Right. And I think it's a way to get the university program going on these yeah. production APIs. Yeah. No, that'd be great. So, uh, so looking for all the university guys listening here to ping me about that. So, well, that's a perfect segue. How do, where can they find you? How do they ping you? Yeah. So Archer at Red Hat's my email and uh, you can come in Canon anytime and, and get me. Um, I am Twitter, but I don't, you know, that's Twitter and LinkedIn. Twitter, primarily. Twitter's Archer J. Yeah. And, uh, LinkedIn is slash Archer. And then, uh, I assume Reddit, y'all have a, edge section on yeah on yeah, yeah as well you know redhat.com has a um um you know an edge dev- you know just search red hat device edge. Yeah. search that intelligent solution uh center intelligent intelligent edge solution center is the name of what we call this office it's not a real red hat office. right it's a it's a lab lab yeah but uh, it's really a showcase for partners is what it ends up being do you have a blog too um i don't know I do, but it's on medium and okay. it's, it's old. So, but, uh, <laughs> so do I, I yeah. haven't updated it in years. I did like but three and I drank COVID and I stopped. Yeah. yeah. Every I, now and then I, I, I get I a... occasionally just post, you know, pie hole stuff yeah, yeah, yeah. or welly stuff on there. And, uh, it is amazing that like when like you haven't done, I don't know anything for like two or three years and like someone's like, yeah, just reaches out because like, yeah, you get an helped her or hey, can you help me do this? Yeah, like, yeah. you get another follow or a like yeah, or it's, it's a comment on it. You're like, man, I haven't thought about that. In yeah, literally years. And yeah, well, there's still people fo- finding you know, it. Photo Matt used to come to the Ace Chug meetings. The guy started WordPress, right? He used to live here. Used okay, to, yeah, I knew he was from and, uh, So you know, Matt, you know, he's Bay Area now, but you know, so I, you know, the, the WordPress tools are great, but I, you know, we, I, I blog through Red Hat stuff sometimes, but yeah, you know, when I do my own stuff, it's Medium. Yeah, gotcha. And, um, but um, we we Red Hat has a podcast too. I wanted okay. to mention too. Yeah. So you know, one one called uh, Code Comments. It's a kind of like a partner driven thing. Okay. But, you know, we used to have OpenShift.tv, which it's now Red Hat something something something. So we do Twitch live streaming. Oh, nice for like developer content. It's really smart, actually. Yeah, to do, do it and on it's Twitch. on YouTube too. Yeah, yeah. But it's but on- the, using Twitch as a platform for like we'll do live coding things on yeah. there. So yeah. if you go to developer.redhat.com. You can spin up an OpenShift cluster, um, 
and you know try it out and we cool. have a bunch of like tutorials and stuff so if you if you're a developer want to get hands-on developer.redhat's a good place to start okay yeah or, or learn.openshift.com is another good site too yeah so but um or just yeah, we, shoot we, you an email yeah yeah or shoot me an email <laughs> and i'll send you whatever you want there you so. go so john i appreciate it man yeah, no, this has been great yeah look forward to uh doing this again sometime yeah well i look forward to seeing you guys at fuse yeah and uh i'm, I'm sure that'll be a great event um we had some other some of our colleagues that went to last year's one so I had one quick question. Is it indoors all or is it outdoor and indoors? It's mostly indoors. We have an outdoor exhibition area where yeah. people have equipment. I think we actually have a, we're supposed to be having some kind of drone uh, tech come. So oh, cool. I think they'll be letting people see that Yeah, we're having to that bring outside. many drones too. I yeah. remember going to OTC and you could do helicopter flights back in the day. <laughs> yeah. It's been a while. So, <laughs> Well, cool, man. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk soon. Thanks, everybody. All right. Thank you all. Right. Y'all. Thanks for having me. While some may see them as the crazy ones, we see genius. Because the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. Goodbye.